0: Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca.
1: Good morning. I'm Karen, and I would like to read from the book of Luke, verses 16, 1 through 13 or 15. We'll find out in a moment. I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me in their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, "A 100 measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said. A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, you may res- you, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the, the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks so much, Karen. Morning. Morning. You guys here? Oh, here we go. Here we go. How's everybody doing? Good. We've been seeing a lot of each other lately. I feel like we should uh, meet each other's parents, you know, just get a little formalized a little bit more. But uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Mark, and uh, I'm not your pastor, but I am a pastor. I actually pastor a church about 15 minutes south called Connection Rexdale. And uh, your pastor, VJ is actually there right now speaking to my congregation. We actually have been doing this little experiment where we tag team a series and we kind of go back and forth between the churches every other week. And he does part one, I do part two, and you've probably caught on. In fact, talk to some people they hadn't caught on yet because they, you know, just you, you don't come every week and then you're like... Is our pastor even here anymore? But you know, he was here last week, and he was here three weeks ago. So you know, he's still here. But I just thought I'd clear that up in case you know you're wondering, like, what happened? You know, it's just like they just got rid of him. It just seems sketchy. So, anyways, uh, really, really excited to be here, and just thought I'd warn you because today something's a little bit different. Normally, I, I hang out a bit longer, and I I discovered the 30-minute party last time, which is awesome. If you don't know what the 30-minute party is, it's this time they just hang out upstairs, up on the mezzanine, and there's food and snacks and great people to connect with. And uh, but today uh, at our church at Connection, we. We actually uh, we have uh, some of our main people who are away, one person in our kids ministry who's quite sick, and so I'm actually leaving here and going to teach our kids program in a little bit. So I just want you to know, like if I just kind of walk out after the message, it's not like my Kanye moment, just you know, ditch the mic and you know, it's not happening, it's not like that. I'm just going because I'm teaching our kids today. So we're gonna be racing across the city and I'm gonna be going over that message in the car. My wife's gonna be driving, it's gonna be crazy, but it's gonna be awesome. We're gonna just love kids and it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. But just thought I'd give you that warning. Uh, we are in a series called. Part number, I made it easy for you. I really made it easy for you, okay? Part number six, and uh, if you missed it, I I would love to give you a whole summary, but it would take the whole time. Uh, So you need to go online, you can watch, you can listen to it, but if I give you the very quick summary, it's simply this. It's three questions, a caution, and a vision. Three questions, a caution, and a vision. And that rhymes, by the way, in case you want to you know, applaud that because I came up with that myself. VJ had no part in that. Just want you to know that. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. we're actually speaking on humility today. No. Uh, so anyways, three questions, a caution, and a vision. This is what we talked about. Who is God? Why doesn't he speak to me? Why is there suffering in the world? Who is God? Why doesn't he speak to me? Why is there suffering in the world? Those are the three questions. The caution, there is an enemy. His goal is destruction. His tool is Word. Okay, good. And then last week, VJ gave you this awesome vision message. It was a vision and it was I'm going to die, you're going to die and we're going to we're going to change the world. Okay. I'll tell, I'll tell VJ. His wasn't that memorable, okay? Now, if you, just, if, you just, if you just joined us this week and you're like, he's going to die, we're going to die, and we're going to change the world, like, did we just walk into a cult? No, no, not a cult, and you just need to listen to last week because it was an awesome message. I was hyping up my church. I'm like, you guys got to get pumped because it's going to be a sweet vision message about the point of what Jesus came to do, and it was incredibly, it was awesome last week. So uh, if you missed it, you got to catch up. So this week, we're, we're doing something crazy. We're not doing just one of the rhyming words. We're covering three. This week we're doing a caution a vision and an invitation which if you're like well, well how do you do that it's a cavitation okay everybody say cavitation yeah a few adventurous people who tried that in the front row thank you thank you okay everyone else is just like we're not doing that that's a dumb okay it's not a real word in case you were like well, I've never learned that one before okay so so we're going to get going in just a moment and now that you know we're getting a little bit more familiar and I'm starting to know you a little bit better I feel like I need to tell you something about my life okay I have a kid I have a kid, okay? I just thought, you know, you should know that. I, I bring a kid into this relationship. Uh, in fact, my wife and I, we have this beautiful kid. His name is Grayson. Yeah, we, isn't he the cutest? Yeah. Now, for those of you who don't have kids, we're like, see, honey, we should have kids. This is like practically Photoshopped, okay? This is not what kids are like. Just, just, just think about this. If you were just logical for a second, you'd know that this is not what real life is like because think about it. What adult even wants to put their hand inside a pumpkin? Nobody! What, what, what makes you think that he would be happy about the fact that he's in a pumpkin? It's like, it's like he's crying, he's angry, and then we're like, we're like Grayson, 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 look over here! And he's like, eh? And it's like, click, 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 and then somehow this is what he's going to think his childhood was like, but it wasn't at all happy. But this is our cute child, Grayson, and he is absolutely adorable. The problem is, is that Grayson isn't perfect. I know, it's hard to believe. You look at that, you're like, what? But he isn't perfect. Don't tell his grandparents that, they haven't discovered that yet, but he's not perfect, okay? He has a problem. In fact, he has, you may even go so far as to say, an addiction, okay? And I just, I just want to be up front because we're not perfect people and we're not, you know, the best parents. And some of you are going to start judging us for this and you're going to think, how could you? Why would you? I just want to tell you, Grayson has a little bit of a problem. He has a little bit of addiction to something called a pacifier. A pacifier. This thing seems to, in some ways, control his life. There he is, yeah. Like, he doesn't get excited like that when I come home from work. He doesn't get excited that when he sees his mom, but when he sees the pacifier, he just loses his mind. He just gets so incredibly excited. In fact, he relies on this thing. He wakes up in the morning, it's the first thing he wants. He cannot go to sleep without it, and if it falls out in the middle of the night, he's going to cry and cry and cry until someone puts it back in his mouth. I know what you're thinking. You've created a sleep crutch for your child. We're not perfect parents, okay? I get it. I'm sorry. You're judging me. That's okay. Okay, not only does he rely on it, but it actually motivates him. He's six months old. He doesn't crawl yet, but he comes very close when you put the pacifier about a foot away from his face. He starts wiggling, I'm like, he's gonna, he never wants to crawl. But if you put a pacifier in front of him, all of a sudden he's he's trying to crawl. He's trying to sit up, he's like working his core because he's lying on his back, he's just like, oh, and so we're like trying to do little workouts with him, just drawing him up, draw, right? Like, it's just what we do because we realize, like, hey, it motivates him, it works, right? And not only that, it actually kind of numbs the pain. This is like parent hack, okay? Don't tell people I told you this, but like if you drop your child, and you know what happens when you drop, not that I've dropped my child. I, I didn't, anyway, so like if your child is hurt, if your child is hurt, and he's, you know, or she is, is crying, this is better than a first aid kit. You pull this out, the tears will go away, and all of a sudden they are infatuated with this thing. They just, it will solve any problem. It numbs their life. Like Grayson is a crazy energetic kid, and he just, he moves all the time. Even asleep, he's moving all the time, and if you give him a pacifier, he can sit still for an hour. Just, It's just, it's just what he does. It's just, it numbs it completely. In fact, sometimes I look at it and I'm like, it's actually kind of like a drug, right? Like, if we could fast forward 18 years and replace this with a bottle of whiskey, you'd be very concerned about the habits that he has around this little piece of plastic. I mean, even, look at this, like, he has one in his mouth and yet he still wants another one. He's already thinking about his next hit. He's just, it's crazy. It's absolutely, like, I look at this and I'm like, can we just pause and think about how terrifying this is? And in fact, not only that, but it actually reorientates his values in life because the reality is, is he should love his father first, then his mother, right? I mean, that's the, right? No, or maybe his mother, whatever, right? Like, but he should love us first, and then, you know, his grandparents. And, his, and, you know, the pacifier is somewhere way down the line. But I was telling my wife, even this morning, I'm like, I'm pretty sure if we sent Grayson away to an island and said, you can only take one thing. And she's in the passenger seat, she's just like, no, he'd take his mom. I'm like, no, nah, babe, he'd take the pacifier. Like, he loves this thing. It's reorientated his values, and it's just this is the thing that motivates his entire life. In fact, in fact, I mean, there are times where we just, we just start to think, like, man, like, he's in love with it. Like, if we could just slow-mo all the times, like, get a video of all the times where he's just reaching for it, put some Celine Dion music in the background, like, you know, it's just, it would be crazy, but he just absolutely loves it. And then, you know, you're kind of thinking, like, okay, Mark, this is, this is a great story, and it's interesting, but what does this have to do with the message today in our series? Like, where are you going with this? And I, I promise it has a point. You see, one of the things I've discovered as a parent, even in the short six months that we've been parents, is that when you watch kids of any age, you can pick up on certain habits and certain attitudes and certain mannerisms that when you fast forward years and years and years, you actually see in yourself. You ever, you ever had that moment, like you have a three-year-old and they're like losing their mind and then you're like, yeah, but that's kind of like you, dear, right? Like you ever had, I mean, not, not like not you, but you, dear, right? Absolutely, right? You had these moments where you just kind of pause and you just say, if we're honest, we haven't really evolved that much. I mean, we've gotten bigger, we've got some facial hair, but we're just still kind of like that in a lot of ways. And, and, and in some ways, when I look at Grayson, I kind of realize this principle, this principle that is true all throughout life, and you've probably discovered it different times in your life, but it's simply this. It is possible to possess something and yet be possessed by it. It is possible to possess something and yet be possessed by it. The reality is, is the pacifier is Grayson's. It's his. It's totally his. I asked him for permission before I borrowed it today. If he wants to take it with him when he gets married and moves out, he is welcome to it because it is his possession. But there are days, and you know, we joke about it, it's just a little piece of plastic, but there are days where it's like, it seems like even though it's his possession, it possesses him more than he possesses it because it actually controls his life. That it actually changes the trajectory of his day depending on where it is or where it is not. That things that are in our possession that we possess, that we bought, that we were given, sometimes have the power to possess us. You know this. I mean, if you look at your life and I look at my life and you look at the loved ones around you and I look at the loved ones around me, we can all think of things that people possess that actually have the power to possess them. For some people, it's an addiction. It's alcohol, it's drugs, it's pornography. They went and they bought it with their own money. It's their possession, and yet you look at it and you say, but it's actually possessing them far more than they possess it. It's actually changing their life. It's destroying certain things. It's reorientating their values. For other people, it's habits. It's gambling. It's a sport thing. It's a show. It's something that you just know. like If that thing's on, they're not paying attention to anything else. Their life reorientates around that thing because even though they possess it, it actually possesses You've seen this maybe with your kids. It's a screen. I talked to one parent, and he's like, the way I get my kids to the dining table is I just hold their iPads and just, you know, kind of drag them along. Because even though it's their possession, there are days where you start to wonder, as a parent, isn't it true that maybe it actually possesses them? And you've had these moments. You've had these moments. You've had these moments. We all have where you've just thought to yourself, if only we could get rid of it, or if only the batteries would die, or if only the bottle, if he would just put it down, or if only they would stop taking those pills, then he would be a better father, or then she would be a better mother, or be- maybe then they'd do their homework, and maybe then they'd go to work and get a job. Like, we've all had these moments where we realize that there are possessions in people's life that they possess, but they actually possess them. And the reason why that's so important is because today we're going to open up the Scriptures, and we're going to discover a passage of Scripture. That is incredibly strange, but it talks about a topic, about something. And in fact, when you open up the scriptures, it's talked about so incredibly often. And it's something that you don't expect, that it's something that you can actually possess that has the power to possess you back. And that topic and that thing, that possession, is money. To which immediately you think to yourself, okay, but Mark... You know, it can't possess us because we don't have any or we have a negative amount of it because we have debt or whatever it is. So that's not our problem, right? Like, in fact, if we could possess a little more of it, we wouldn't mind if it possessed us a little bit. Like, we could all use a little bit more money. And yet, the interesting thing is that the scriptures talk about it over and over and over again, and they say that it's a thing that has the power to possess us back. And the interesting thing is when you look at the life of Jesus, he actually talked about money a lot. In fact, it's the second most popular thing that Jesus ever talked about. It was money. But here's the interesting thing. He never asked anybody for any. He never asked anybody for any money. He, every time he talked about money, he was warning people about the dangers of it. He was warning people about the dangers of greed and the way that it grabs your heart and reorientates your life. And in this moment, you kind of stop and you think, yeah, okay, but I don't have a greed problem. And yet what you discover is that Jesus taught that money is a very strange sin. And I think this is one of the reasons why he talked about it so much, because it actually has, he says, it says has the power to darken your eyes that you don't even know that it's possessing you. As one of my favorite authors, Tim Keller, once said, he said, greed is very different from every other sin. Every other sin is visible. He said, you don't wake up in the morning after having cheated on your spouse and think, oh my gosh, you're not my spouse. How did you get in here, right? Like, you don't have that moment. But with money and with greed, you do. And this is why, as a pastor, I have tons of people who come to my office and they they ask me questions about things and they bring topics. And there are some days where I literally, I'm like, wow, and then I have to go and I have to Google because I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I don't even have a category to put that in, but in all my years, I have never, and I talk to pastors all the time, and they have never had someone come into their office and say, I'm really struggling with greed. I'm really struggling with greed. And yet all of us can think of people that we're sure they must struggle with greed. Why is it that nobody seems to realize that they struggle with greed? It's because it has the power to grab your heart, reorientate it, and it darkens your eyes, and you would never even know that it's at work in your life. This is why Jesus talked about it so much. But he never asked anybody for anything. Any, it, it, as, as someone once said, maybe the, the way to summarize Jesus' idea on money is Jesus doesn't want your money, but he, doesn't, he just doesn't want your money to get you. Jesus doesn't want your money. He didn't want their money back then. He doesn't want your money now. He just doesn't want your money to get you. He doesn't want it to grab your heart. He doesn't want it to reorientate your life. He doesn't want it to get in the way of your relationships. He doesn't want it to have possession over you. He's warning people about this possession that they have that has the power to backfire and actually possess them. So today we're going to unpack that a little bit. Now, just to pause and just to to actually kind of get us flowing a little bit, I want to do a little bit of a quick survey. You don't have to answer any questions. They're rhetorical questions. You can just think on them mull on them. But this is just to kind of help you understand just the way in which money gets a grip on our heart. Have you ever, have you ever, have you ever had a fight with your spouse over money? Or a friend, or parent, or sibling, or child. Have you ever had that moment? No elbows, no like, <clears throat> right? Like, no. But have you ever had that moment? I mean, have you ever been to Ikea furniture shopping with your spouse? I mean, Ikea is where marriages go to die, right? Like, it's just, it's death. And then, like, you can't even get out. And then you have to walk to that marketplace, and then you see something, and then she sees something, and then you're just like, oh, but we need that. And it's just like, you're just fighting over and over. I'm actually going to create an app called Escape Ikea, and it's just going to help you find the quickest way out. Because, like, <laughs> marriages are dying in that place because people are fighting over money because it actually entangles our heart a little bit more i remember we weren't even married yet we were doing the the thing of the what do you call that thing the thing where you have the gun you know the registry see i don't know because we left after about five minutes because we had a horrible fight because they give you a gun they're like just scan everything that you want and then it's just like like she's scanning something you're scanning something they're like did you just scan that and you have this big fight and i'm like how can you scan that when there are and then you've used this line and you're never gonna use it again but you've used it and you, you say when there are starving kids in africa My wife's so smart, she destroyed me. She's like, if you cared about those kids in Africa, you wouldn't have lumped them into a continent. You'd actually know the country that they were from. And on top of that, if you actually had a track record of sending the money to Africa, we could talk, but you don't. So anyways, and she just destroyed me, and I'm like, ah. But isn't it true? We've all had fights with the people that we love over money. We've all had those moments. In fact, not only that, we've seen relationships go south over money. We've had fights. Let's be honest. We've had fights, or we know people who have had fights, or we know people in our family who had fights over an inheritance. And not only just an inheritance, an inheritance of, of, of someone who hadn't even passed away yet. Isn't it amazing that you know people or you have even experienced the, the trajectory of relationships going down the toilet because of a love for money? You see, Jesus was actually right. The money does have the power to grip our heart and reorientate the things. And we are willing to throw away decades of relationships over this thing that we think that we possess. But the reality is, is it possesses our hearts even when we do not have it or have it yet. And then another lie before we get into it is that, well, Mark, 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 you're not supposed to talk about money. I mean, didn't you get that message, right? Like you don't talk about religion, politics, or money. Well, we're in church. We're talking about money. I'll make a political joke later, and then it'll all be good. We'll have been totally taboo. But the reality is, do you ever think about why is it that it's polite not to talk about money? Why is it polite not to talk about the thing that we know has the power to grab our heart? How does that make any sense to you? Is it possible that it's a lie that we have been told? Remember we talked about lies two weeks ago? that his goal is destruction and his tool is deception. And what if one of the lies was, you just don't talk about money because it's not polite. And what if the truth was that it's not that it's not polite, but that if you don't talk about money, it is incredibly dangerous. If you pause just for a second and think about the way that money has destroyed our world, you see that money has the power. This is something that has the power to destroy marriages, is money. You can see corrupt governments are all based on what? Money. Extortion. Money. You see so many things that are going on in the world, and at the bottom of it all, a lot of the crime that goes on in the world is based on Money. In fact, you watched a video a while back about the the sex trafficking that's going on, even here in the GTA, and there was actually an interview with a pimp. And what did he say? He said, you know what? Every day you wake up and you know what you're doing is wrong, but what did he say? But the money is too good, that somehow it has the power to reorientate all the things you value and even your morality, because that's the power that money has. It's a lie that it's polite not to talk about money. And the truth is, it's incredibly dangerous not to. So just as Jesus talked about money, I think it's it's important that we talk about money. And it's important as we talk about growing and spiritually growing in our relationship that we talk about money because it's something that is at the core of our being. And so today we're gonna actually engage about engage with it today. And so today we're gonna turn to a passage. In the book of Luke, chapter 16. The book of Luke is one of the four narratives that tell the life of Jesus. And in a little bit, we're actually going to turn to this passage. But I want everyone in the room. Okay, I don't ask this all the time, but I want everyone in the room to pull out your device and actually get this passage on your device. Even if you don't have an app that has the Bible, just type it in the browser. Get Luke chapter 16 on a screen. Get it on your Bible. Like you just you need to have it in front of you for a few reasons, which I want to walk you through. Okay, first of all, if you're a Christian in the room, if you are, you know, you grew up in church, you you know, you have all. All the strange stuff about you, because you're just a church person, and let's just be honest, we get strange after a while, okay? Like, if that's you, you need to have your Bible in your hand, because when I'm going to read this story to you, you're going to be like, what kind of bootleg Bible is this? That's not in the Bible. Jesus didn't say that. That's exactly, I'm telling you, i preached this before. And people are going to be like, that's not in the Bible. I'm like, it's totally in the Bible, and Jesus said it. So you need to pull it out, just because you're not going to believe this is actually in the Bible, Okay. For those of you who are like new to church, you're like you're you're a new Christian. Like you still like every Sunday, you kind of come in here and you're like, I can't believe they have church in the theater. This is so cool, right? Like James Bond on Friday, church on Sunday. Like this is awesome, right? It's The same place. Like for you, this is just so exciting. And you go to home group. And you're like, there's a home group, and people are so nice, and there's always food. And like it's just it's so new to you. They ter- tell you to turn to a part of the Bible, and you're like in the table of contents, and you're like, I think that's a book, or maybe that's a character. I'm not sure, but let me just find out. Like everything's so new to you. And sometimes, in fact, you're so new. Sometimes you kind of feel odd because, you know, you don't talk like the other Christians. Like, you still say blessed, and they say blessed, you know, because they're just so religious, you know. And they just, they're always talking about, like, yeah, you know, Moses, and I'm practicing his presence, the Spirit. And you're just like what you just you always feel like the outsider in conversation the reason why this story is so important is because this is your new party trick okay because the next time you're in an event with a bunch of christians who know the scriptures so well this is what you're gonna gonna be like you know what i really like i like luke chapter 16 when jesus did and then you're gonna you know tell them the story that we're gonna learn today and they're gonna be they're gonna feel dumb they're gonna be like that's in the bible and they're gonna feel behind (laughs) it you'll be ahead it'll be awesome okay so that's why you need to pull out the scripture and you need to memorize this passage For those of you who are like, I can't believe I'm in church today, you know, my friend brought me, someone invited me, and and they're talking about money. Of all the things, of course, the church is talking about money the, the, the week that I'm here. I just want you to know two things. Number one, we don't want your money. This church does not want your money. I don't want your money. We are just so incredibly glad that you're here. We, we hope that you engage with this community and get to know uh, Jesus. Uh, that's, that's the thing that we love, and that's why we're excited that you're here, and that's why this church was created to tell the news of Jesus to other people. That's that's the number one thing we want you to know. And number two, I want you to engage today because, as you probably discovered in the first little bit of our, our time together, is that greed has the power to change the trajectory of your life, whether you believe in God or not. And so this is a topic that is incredibly relevant. And so would you just engage with this topic, and maybe you'll leave here today and say, I'm not sure if I believe what they believe, but I wish that if the Christians in this world would at least believe what they believe, that what Jesus believed, that this world would be a little bit different. So you can come along for the journey. We don't expect anything from you. We just want something for you, as Jesus did. He didn't want to get your money from you. He just didn't want your money to get you. So we're going to open up the passage, Luke chapter 16, and we're going to start the story in just a moment. Now, one last detail I have to tell you before we start the story. Because in this story, it kind of has a punchline. And we've all had that moment where, you know, someone tells kind of like a nerdy joke, and they're like, ha! And you're kind of like, I don't get it. You ever had that moment where you, and then they're like, oh, it's funny because, and they start explaining to you. And it's like, it's not funny if you have to explain the joke. If you get to the point and you have to explain it, just quit, okay? You're behind already. You're getting more behind when you try trying to explain it. Don't try. But I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of details that will help you with the punchline at the end of the story, and this is this, okay? 2,000 years ago, there was this name that the religious people were called. The Jewish people, God's people, were called, as we're going to see on the screen, the Sons of Light. The sons of light. So God had a chosen people, and their purpose, their purpose was always to be blessed to be a blessing. So they were literally, like, God had blessed them with certain things, but the blessing was never to be consumed. It was to be distributed. It was never to be consumed. It was always to be uh, distributed. They were called to be a blessing to those around them. They were called to shine light into dark places, and that's where the, the name came from, Sons of Light, okay? So we're all clear, Sons of Light was the religious people, the religious elite, like they were just, that's, that's what they knew themselves as, the Sons of Light or the People of Light. Okay, now that we got that, we can get into our story, and we can start to discover it so far. So, Jesus pulls, starts talking to his disciples, and he's been telling them a bunch of parables, and uh, the interesting thing is that Jesus is talking to money, to people who have no money. They all left their jobs to follow him. Most of them, this is so interesting, are teenagers, When Jesus has an audience, he doesn't pick the rich, the wealthy, the mature, elite people. He doesn't pick this room. He picks the people that Pastor Kate works with every single week. He invests in the next generation, which is why I'm so incredibly glad that you guys have invested in your children's program in Treehouse and in your youth ministry with Pastor Kate. It's so incredibly exciting because those are the people that Jesus spent most of his time with. He was investing in the next generation, and he sits down with people who have absolutely no money, and he starts to teach them about money. And so he starts to give them this parable. He says this, he said, he said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. You know you're rich when you have a money manager, okay? So he has a money manager, the money manager is a shyster, he's, you know, doing some sketchy business and the owner finds out about this. And so, so he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. You're fired. You suck. Okay, great. The manager said to himself, okay, he's having this little moment of introspection. And he's like, what shall I do since my master is taking away the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. He kind of has this moment where he's like, I can never be a money manager again because everyone's going to know the reason that I was fired was because I'm a shyster. And then he kind of just pauses and he's like, and these hands are so perfectly manicured. Like, I'm just like, I can't dig. And I'm like begging back then. Like there's actually, you know, in history, they actually say like it was better to die than to beg. Okay. So he's like, I really can't do anything. I don't have any marketable skills anymore. And I can't beg because I'd rather just be dead. You know, I'd be ashamed of myself. I wouldn't be able to show myself at family gatherings. And so then, so then, so then he comes up with this plan. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? So he starts going to the people that he used to deal with, the debtors, who probably don't know that he's been fired yet. He's like, hey, how much do you owe? uh, How much do you owe the master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Today's your day. You know, you got a great coupon giving you a half off discount. You only know, oh, half now. To which this guy would be like, wow, thanks so much. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. And it says he, he went and did this with all the master's debtors. If you were the master and you found out about this, let's listen to interact for a second. What would you do to him? Let's interact about. It. I don't know if you understood what that meant. So what would you do if you found out that the person who was managing your money that you fired went and just cut all your debts in half that were owed to you? What would you do? Sue him and fire him. <laughs> Be mad. I said this at my church. Someone's like, execute him. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> don't cross that man. Yeah, you do something bad. Can I tell you, can I tell you, remember, this is a parable. This is a story Jesus is making up to make a point. He's making it up to make a point. Not a true story, but it is a true principle. Jesus, in this story, this is what he says, and you're not going to believe this is what he says. He says this. The master, when he found out, commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. To which everyone always pauses and like, is Jesus like Robin Hood? Is he saying like, take from the rich, give to the poor? Like, what is going on here in this moment? It's like, did he, like, you can't do that. Like, he just did something. That's criminal. That's criminal. Jesus is not for that. Why is he telling the story? Why is he commending someone criminal? Let me, let me just explain this as a lie, okay? You know, when you're watching a heist movie, Like, Mark, we don't watch heist movies. We're church people. No, of course you watch heist movies. Don't lie to me, okay? I love heist movies. You watch a heist movie, you ever have that moment where you're just like, oh, genius, they blew up the street and the armored tank went into the road or it was behind the wall. Denzel, how did you not know, right? Like, you just have that moment where you're just like, that was genius. And you turn to your family and you're like, can we watch that again? Because now I just, I understand it. And you're just, you're flipping out because it was so genius. And Then you have this moment where you're like, if I was robbing a bank, that's what I'd do. And then you're like, but I love Jesus, so I wouldn't, you know, you kind of have that moment where it's just like, but you can, in a moment, you can say, I don't agree with what you've done. But man, that was smart. And Jesus in this moment, this manager in the story that he's made up says, wow, you're still fired. You know, you still can't work for me. But Well done, bravo. That was very good. That was very impressive. That was quite unique of you. In fact, he says for being shrewd for thinking long-term, for thinking quickly, for thinking smartly, for taking what you have and using it well. And then, and then, and then, Jesus says the thing that is so incredibly controversial. He says this, he says, For the sons of this world, the normal people, the common people, the non-religious people, are more shrewd, smart, quick-witted, long-term thinking, investing wisely, in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. The religious people, the Jews, the people who are meant to be blessed to be a blessing. And in that moment, we actually discover later in the story that the religious leaders were actually within earshot, and they were kind of overhearing it. In that moment, he's like, more shrewd than the sons of light. And I just kind of imagine one of the disciples like, Jesus, Jesus shh, they can hear us. I just kind of imagine Jesus like, I know. Right? Like, I just kind of imagine, right? He just kind of, and then, and then I just kind of imagine the, the religious leaders, and they're like, did he just mention us? Did he just... Did he just say something about us? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what did he say? Well, well, he was telling this amazing story about, you know, this, this criminal. And then he basically just said, the criminal's more shrewd than us. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, he was comparing us to a criminal, and the criminal won. It's just like, what? And Jesus, in this moment, is saying, listen, 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 listen. There are people. In fact, there are people above you. The religious elite who are supposed to be your leaders and your teachers have taken what they are entrusted with, and they have not leveraged it to be a blessing, but they actually leveraged it to be a blessing to themselves. And he tells a story to say even the criminals seem to have a better idea of how they should leverage their funds and he said, if they could just be that shrewd with their money and actually be a blessing and do what they were supposed to be doing instead of leveraging it for themselves, things may be a little bit different. Jesus is saying, I know they're supposed to be your examples, but they are not good examples, so do not listen to them. Let me reorientate the way that you think, even though you guys don't have money. Let me just teach you young people how to think because I don't want you to fall for this trap. I don't want you to think that you are sons of light and yet taking everything that you have been given and distributing it for your own blessing instead for the blessing of others. In this moment, he just pauses and he it just brings it all together. And then, in this moment, Jesus gives them the thing that you need to circle and highlight and underline and never forget because this is the vision. This is the vision. The caution is that it can grab your heart. The vision is what Jesus is about to give them of what they can do with their money. He says this. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. And you just kind of pause and you're like, wait, wait. Did Jesus just say, take your money, you know, the money of this world, and make friends with it? Buy friendships with it? To which some of you are like, I've been doing that for years. I didn't know it was in the Bible, right? But it's just like, no, that's not what Jesus was saying. Not what Jesus was saying. Not what Jesus was saying. He says, for I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, what does he mean by that? All money fails you in the end. It's a very simple principle. You don't have to believe in God to believe that. You know that. You look around and you know all money fails you in the end. In the end, you can have the most luxurious hospital room. You can get the best doctors, the best nurses. You can buy a heart off Kijiji probably. But the reality is that at the end of the day, you will die and your money will still be left behind. It will not save you. In the end, it will fail. And so Jesus is saying, in the end, all the investments you've ever made will fail you because it will just get left behind and your kids will have to sort through it. And then he says, he says, so I want you to leverage your wealth, to make friends for yourself. And then he drops this line, which I love, so that they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Here's what Jesus is saying. Guys, the 60, 70, or 80 years that you get to live in this world is not all that there is. That there is an eternity. And I would hate for you to leverage whatever wealth comes your way for yourself because it will just fail you in the end and it'll get left behind. He said, wouldn't it be amazing, wouldn't it be amazing, wouldn't it be amazing if you, as I have done, leveraged everything that ever came into your possession to spread a message of hope and truth that there is a God who loves you and that he has come and lived and died among you so that you can be in relationship with him. Wouldn't it be awesome if you leveraged every financial resource in your possession for that and to tell other people about this amazing news. So that one day when your life comes to an end and you enter eternity, there are people there who would not have been there if it was not for your investment. Here's what I kind of picture it looking like. I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, I, I have this vivid imagination as you're learning. But I just kind of imagine, you know, driving into heaven. You know, you made it driving a green vehicle, I'm sure. Right? You kind of drive into heaven and you know, someone kind of just stops the car. You know, you've never seen them before. And they kind of, you know, walk over. And they're just like, thanks so much. <laughs> it's like, sorry, who are you again? You know, it's like, put name tags in heaven or something, right? Like, it's like I'm Christina, and, you know, I'm here because of you. And you're just like, what do you mean you're here because of me? Like, I'm Christina, you, you know, Ralph's niece. And you're like, Ralph, I know. Ralph, you just start pausing and you start thinking about Ralph, the neighbor that you guys had for years. Ralph, the person that, you know, after coming to church a couple times, you're just like, you know, we should really start connecting with some of our neighbors. And so you talk to your wife and you talk to your husband, and you're like, we should have them over. And, you know, we should, and then, you know, you had this argument over, should we have them over for tea or should we actually serve a meal? And it's like, money's tight. Maybe we should just have them over for tea, right? No, we should have them over for a meal. And they're like, okay, so we serve wine. Should we serve the good wine or the cheap wine? Right? And you have this disagreement. And then it's like, let's just be generous. Let's just be generous. And so you, you served a great meal and you had the good wine and, you know, it was great and you had them over and you had some great conversation you supported them through some different things that they went through and you know over over having them over and over and over again your budget you know took a little pinch but you just you just kept being hospitable and you kept being loving to them you kept investing in them and eventually you know you got to share the hope of Jesus and you invited them out to upper room and and Ralph and his wife became followers of Jesus and you know as you're chatting with Christina what you discover is that when Ralph became a follower of Jesus he was the only follower of Jesus in his family and he began encouraging and calling his family and his family who didn't like Ralph for a long time was like wow he's changing and there's something different he would always just call and say i I know you don't believe what i believe but can i pray for you and then you know christina eventually kind of got interested and started chatting with ralph and then she started going to church and she became a follower of jesus and when she thanked ralph ralph said no you don't thank me you thank my neighbors who went to upper room community church who invested because if it wasn't for their hospitality we never would have engaged we never would have connected and in that moment christina says so thank you for your investment and your money and your time because i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you that's what I imagine. I imagine it's, you know, you continue on in your little car and then someone else stops you. And he starts talking, but it's not even a language you understand, but thankfully it's heaven and there's subtitles, okay? And so he starts, starts talking to you and, you know, you're reading the subtitles and it's like, thank you so much, I'm here because of you. And you're like, who are you? And he's like, you know, I was, I was part of Kids in Crisis in Guinea. And I understand that your church invested in us over and over again for the years and you sent people and you you had people and you cared for them and you cared for us even though you never met us and you leveraged your finances and i heard you actually you, you were gonna upgrade your car and you decided not to and you decided to just send more money to kids in crisis in guinea and i am here because of you thank you and you're just like wow or i imagine you know you're driving and you know someone looks familiar but you're not quite sure and it's like they're like hey hey then you're like like let me guess you're here because of me And they're like yes and you're like Where are you from? And they start to tell you. They start to tell you the story, and they tell you who they are, and you're like, oh my gosh, I remember you decades ago. You were in Treehouse. And you think to yourself, and you were a terror, and you kind of check for your wallet to make sure it's still there, right? And in that moment, you ask them, what is it? Because you hadn't seen them in church for decades. And they say, I remember. I remember. I remember that even though you were a university student, you invested so much in our little Treehouse group. And you brought the most awesome snacks. And I know you were a university student at the time, but you just loved us and you invested in us and you had us that weekend away. And I know you paid for everything. It was just awesome. The way that you cared and invested in us. And, you know, years later, I'd been through, you know, hell and back in my life. And I just kept thinking about you and the way that you loved me like nobody else had. And I ended up back in church and I came and gave my life to Jesus. And now I am here because of you. I think of my story. I think when I get to heaven, I'm looking for a man who I've never met named Joseph Tremblay. Joseph Tremblay was a pastor in the 70s. I don't even know if he's alive anymore. But I know that it was his tape that came into my mom's possession because there were no other believers in my family except for my aunt. My aunt sent this tape to my mom who then heard the news about Jesus and became a follower of Jesus. And I am a follower of Jesus because of that man. And I know I'm going to ask Joseph, and I'm be like, Joseph, I am here because of you. And he's going to look at me, and he's like, Hey, Mark, it wasn't my investment. I was a broke pastor. But you can thank the different people in my church who bought the recording equipment to make that cassette possible so that your aunt and then your mom could hear the good news of Jesus, their investment is the reason that you're here. To which in this moment, you're thinking, Martin, this is great, and this is exciting, and you know, one day when I have enough money, this would be a good thing to do with my money, to invest in eternity, because this is the reality. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying this. He's saying, use every opportunity to invest in eternity, because it will not fail you. It will not fail you. To which, I just imagine, it doesn't say it in the scriptures, I just imagine the disciples who are teenagers, who are broke, they left their job, in this moment, they kind of turn to Jesus and like, but Jesus, the thing we may say, we ain't got no money. Or we got, a lot of th- you know, we got a lot of expenses and not enough money coming in, so what are we going to do? Jesus finishes the story with this. He says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Being rich does not make you generous. Being poor does not stop you from being generous and investing what you have in eternity. One story and we're done. One story and we're done. When I was 18 years old, I grew up in a church with a pastor who loved Jesus, who loved his teachings, and who taught on money regularly. Not because he wanted it, but he wanted to make sure that it didn't get us. And so when I was 18 years old our church decided to start this thing called the capital campaign And what we were doing was we were trying to expand and build and and bring money in so that we could build our building Because we were having such a great impact on the community We didn't have room for all the things that were going on We had a food bank, we had programs for people in addiction, we have uh, single moms programs, youth outreach programs It was incredible and so they said we're going to raise funds so that we can bless our community And not only that, we're actually going to raise funds for a university, our Christian university, to raise up other pastors, and we're also going to help uh, a young church plant uh, by sending them a couple hundred thousand dollars. And so he said this, and he just said, hey, he said, I realize money's tight, it's always tight, but if, if you just want to, in faith, pick a number and write it down and just ask God to be faithful so that you can give that and invest that in eternity, so to speak. And so I did. I prayed about it and I thought about it. And you need to know, at 18 years old, I had taken a year off from high school. I was saving up for university. I was working full-time. And I was about to go off to Calgary, and school was going to cost about $18,000 a year. Okay? So you just imagine, broke university student. And for some reason, I felt like I needed to commit, this is what I just heard when I was praying, $3,000 over three years. $1,000 a year, which, which isn't a lot, you know, but for a broke university student, that is a heck of a lot. But I just said, Lord, if you will provide this money, I will give it and I will invest it in this capital campaign to be a blessing to those three different groups. From the moment I landed in Calgary, I had a job. And I ended up doing university in two different provinces, and wherever I moved, wherever I went, I always had a job within the first few days. They always paid way more than I ever expected to be paid for in a job. And by the end, of the time when I was finished school, not only did I not have any school debt, but I was able to meet all those 3000 that $3,000 commitment. Here's the best part few years later, I actually got to work in that youth center that was built as part of that capital campaign. And I got to sit there, and I got to stand before 100 youth every single week who did not know Jesus and hear the message of Jesus proclaimed. And I got to think to myself, isn't this an amazing investment that I actually get to see this being leveraged? And then nine years later, I got to attend that church plant, and I got to see what was going on there. And in fact, I was just so incredibly excited that you know now it's been about 10 years. And now every other week, I have the opportunity to preach at that church. It's called Upper Room Community Church. And every time that I come into this building and I see the crazy amount of kids that you have running around, going to Treehouse to hear the message of Jesus, and every time I hang around after and I meet people, they're like, yeah, we've never been to church before Upper Room. And we met Jesus here, and we only know what we've learned here through Pastor BJ because it's so incredibly new to us. And I think what an amazing investment that myself and a whole bunch of other people came on. That every time I step into this room, I actually get to check in on my investment. I actually get to see what God has been doing and how this investment in eternity is paying off. And I can tell you something. I have spent $3,000 on a lot of things in my life. I have spent $3,000 on a lot of things. I have never regretted this one. I have regretted so many things, but this one I have never regretted ever regretted because this is something that cannot fail because it is an investment in eternity. So the question I want to ask you is, what's your story going to be? What's your investment going to be? Is it going to be in things that fail or is it going to be in things that last because they have an investment in eternity? So here's my challenge for you. Here's my challenge for you. Here's my challenge for you. Okay. Would you go home and would you, if you have a spouse or you have family, would you sit down and pull out the budget sheets, if you have budget sheets, you maybe you have to find them and find passwords, because you've never even looked at the finances before, whatever it is, okay? Pull out the credit card receipts, pull out the banking receipts, and I want you to just look through it, okay? This is, this, I just want you to, do, this is gonna be so simple. I want you to just find one thing that does not is not a life or death thing, okay? So basically what I mean by that is, if you removed it from your budget, you would not die, okay? Simple. I want you to find that thing, whether it's $20, $50, $1,000, some of you, it's ten. I don't know what it is, right? Every month, there's there's got to be something that you consume that is not critical to life and death. And I want you to just find those $20, $100, whatever it is. And then I want you to just say, okay, for the next six months, I'm not going to do that thing. You know, I'm not going to, I'm going to make my own coffee, right? Whatever it is, right? You just, you're going to do something. I'm only going to watch basic cable. You have basic cable. That's awesome, right? I still play with antennas, okay? But whatever it is, you're just going to downgrade, you're going to downgrade your internet, you're going to, whatever it is. uh, And I want you to then pray and say, God, where do you want me to invest this? Where do you want me to invest this? And then I want you to invest it for six months, okay? If there's a way to do pre-authorized, you don't forget, I want you to do that. Okay, some of you are like, you don't like rules, so hey, you be a rebel and do a year, okay? I'm totally cool with that, okay? But I want you to just invest it. And and here's here's my secret agenda. Here's my secret agenda. I'm just gonna tell you my secret agenda and it's not so secret anymore, okay? That little investment, whether it's $20, $200, $2,000, whatever it is, is going to bring so much excitement to your life because your heart will then be orientated to where your money is going. And all of a sudden, you will have that experience that I had when I was 18 years old, that you have taken a little risk and you have seen a big return and then you will want to invest more because you will discover that what Jesus said is true. The caution is is that money has the power to grip our hearts. And the vision was true that it is far better to invest in eternity. And the invitation is that this is what he's invited us to do with our money. So would you do that? Would you go home and would you just try that experiment? For a few months, would you just invest a little bit in something? Take time, pray through it, and then just watch your heart begin to change and you discover the joy of generosity and the grip of greed leaving. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can open up the scriptures that are a thousand years old and still discover truth that is relevant today in our lives. Lord, we really do believe that your scriptures are alive and active, and we want to do as you taught your young disciples to do, that we want to reorientate our finances and invest in something that will last. So Lord, would you give us the excitement and the determination to try this out because of the idea that what would happen if an entire church in a city began to invest their money in things that did not fail, but lasted for an eternity? Lord, we do this all in response to what you did on the cross.
1: You gave it all, and in response, we give it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.